So today for the message, we're going to be um, really focusing on something that I talked about a little bit at the annual meeting. So if you were there, you may realize this sort of ties in a little bit with that. But um, talking about uh, this really being an important year for us here at New Hope Chapel, that we really need to uh, step out and, and faithfully serve God by being faithful witnesses for him, reaching out to the community, being used by God for the building up of, of his church, his kingdom, for his glory, uh, that we really need to, to take that seriously and faithfully live that out. We're certainly a church that has a lot of strengths, but historically that has been one of our weaknesses and sort of continues to be in many ways. And so sort of continuing with that, what I really wanted to talk about and share uh, was the importance of engaging with our surrounding community. Right? I think it's easy as a church in many ways as you live out church life and even as we live out sort of our own individual lives, it's easy to sort of be inward focused, sort of focusing on, on sort of the life of the church within the four walls of the church, sort of doing our thing, um, even in our individual lives, easy to sort of go about our own agenda, doing our own thing and really losing sight of all of the people out there in the world who, who don't know Christ, who don't have that relationship with him, who don't have saving faith in him, who are separated from Christ and, and rightfully under, under judgment and having an understanding of that, then having a burden to really go out, engage with that community at large all around us, engage with them, and not just in a sense of being present with them, but being present with them uh, in, in a sense with gospel-mindedness, kingdom-mindedness with sort of that mindset of I'm not just going to be out in the world in sort of a pointless way, but I'm going to be out in the world being a witness for Christ, looking for opportunities to be a light to a dark world. Uh, and so I really wanted to talk about that, talk about engaging with our community and doing that faithfully. And to that end, I want us to open up to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. You can flip there now and we'll read it. Again, that's Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Uh, and this is about Paul. Uh, and we're going to see that this is a passage that really does relate to, to what we're talking about today, engaging with the surrounding community, engaging with the world all around us that doesn't know Christ. And what we're going to see, of course, here, and we'll talk about this, uh, is that Paul does precisely that, of course. He engages with the community around him with gospel-mindedness. So let me read this for us. This is Acts 17, starting at verse 16. And it says... Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, I'll sort of set the context here if you're sort of wondering, well, who, who's, who are they here that, that we're speaking of, right? So Paul's here, he's in Athens, he's waiting for someone, right? He's waiting for Silas and Timothy for them to come to him. So while he's hanging out in Athens, waiting for them to come to him, here's what takes place. It says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, right? So you have Athens here, right? Pagan city, of course, there's, there's idols, there's temple, right? There's pagan worship all around, everywhere you go. Uh, it's just rampant. And so he's in this city, and, and what happens is his spirit is provoked within him as he sees this taking place. And you could sort of ask the question, well, you know, in what way was his spirit provoked, right? One might think, well, is it provoked to anger? Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case, because what we're going to see as we read on is, is the response isn't that of uh, an anger-filled response, but rather it's a compassionate response. It's a response of then going to the people who don't know about Christ, who are engaged in much of this idolatry, right? Going to them and proclaiming the truth of the gospel, right? It is this uh, this heart attitude, this being provoked in his heart and his spirit, uh, really toward a compassion toward these people who don't know about God, 
right? They're going after all of these false gods, all of these pagan gods, engaging in all sorts of idolatry, and it's a, a response of grief and sadness over what's taking place, to be sure. There could be a little tinge of anger over the evil that's taking place, but predominantly it's, it's a response of grief and sadness over what's taking place, and a response of compassion toward these people who don't know the truth, who are separated from God, Right, living in sin, in evil, rebelling against the Lord, and it's a compassionate response and a, and a desire in his heart to see those people change their ways, to come to know the truth, to come to faith in Christ so that they might experience forgiveness and, and reconciliation with God and a restored relationship with God and eternal life, and for that idolatry to be done away with. Right, And so it's not this anger being provoked to anger, anger response, rather it's this compassion, this grief and sadness over this evil that's taking place and a compassion upon the people who are engaged in this evil, desiring to see them understand the truth. So what does he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Uh, and in the marketplace, every day with those who happen to be there, right? So what does he do? Well, he figures, I'm, I'm going to go to the synagogue. And, and these aren't believing Jews in the sense of, oh, they understand all about Jesus and so forth. These would have been sort of your typical Jews who wouldn't have believed in Christ and Jesus as the Messiah, but they would have been rather faithful Jews in their, in their Jewish faith. And these devout persons, your translation might have something like God-fearers. There, there are different ways to translate it. Uh, what these people are, they're Gentiles who sort of, uh, they believe in the one true God. They believe in sort of the moral commands of Scripture. But some of this whole, like, being circumcised thing or the dietary regulations, they're just not quite ready to take that step and officially become truly Jewish uh, and take all of that on. So in a sense, they believe all of the, the theological truths and um, all of the moral implications of the true faith. Right, But, well, they're not quite ready to take all those ceremonial steps and circumcision and whatnot. So they're sort of not quite Jews, but, but they're Gentiles who are close to that in a sense. And so they would go to the synagogue and they'd, they'd hear what was being taught there as well, even if they weren't yet Jews. So Paul, of course, goes there. It's not to say that he's going to necessarily friendly territory, but it's maybe somewhat friendly. But still, these aren't people who believe in, in Jesus as the Messiah. So he realizes, well, they don't believe. Right? doesn't mean that these people were engaged in rank idolatry. Right, They wouldn't have been as, as Jews or God-fearers. But still, they didn't understand the truth about Christ. And so what does he do? He goes, right? he goes to them, to where they are. He goes to their territory. And he says, well, I'm going to proclaim the truth to you. Right? You're not going to know if no one goes and proclaims the truth and is a witness for Christ to you. So he goes and he shares about the truth about Christ. But he doesn't stop there, but it also says, right, right, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So he doesn't just go to the synagogue where maybe they're going to be a little more receptive to what he has to say. Maybe some people might believe, some might reject Christ as the Messiah, right? But in fact, he actually just goes right out into the marketplace. And if you think of sort of ancient Greco-Roman culture and the world in that day, the marketplace was not just a place for the exchange of goods, but it was also a place for the exchange of ideas as well. So it was a logical place to go. Uh, right? I'm not saying you could do this, but I'm not saying that the parallel to this today would be to say, I'm going to go to Stop and Shop and just sort of like pull up a chair inside near the front door, and I'm just going to go and preach all about the gospel. If God calls you to do that, do that. But people might look at you like you're a little bit strange, because in today's day and age, you don't really think of the grocery store as a place where there's an exchange of theological, religious ideas. It's just a place where you go and get your groceries. 
But if you think of the, the ancient Roman world or Greco-Roman world, that, that was part of the marketplace. It wasn't just about buying and selling goods, but it was also about sharing of ideas as well. And so very naturally, Paul says, well, there are people all over here who are pagan, Gentiles, right? And they, they're engaged in this horrible idolatry. And so, well, what am I going to do about it, right? Out of this response of grief and sadness over the idolatry that's taking place and compassion for those who are participating in it, he says, well, I'm going to go to them. Right? I'm going to engage with this community all around me. He doesn't say, I'm just going to sort of hole up here in sort of a church, or maybe there wasn't a church established at that point. He establishes it, but whatever would be the closest thing to the local church, I'll just sort of stay in that building. I'll put up a sign out front, come inside to learn more about this Jesus guy, and hopefully they'll come to me. Right? He realizes they're not going to come if he does that. So he goes to them onto their territory, and he goes and proclaims the truth to them where they are and on their territory. So reading on, verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preach, it seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Now, the Areopagus, very literally, this is, if you translate it, right, it means um, Ares' rocky hill. Ares' rock, Ares' hill. If you sort of want to use the corresponding Roman deity, then it would be Mars' hill or Mars' rock. Um, And it wasn't just the place, but it was also the high court. It referred to the high court as well uh, that met there, the high court there in Athens that met and certainly had a special concern for religious matters. So if you have these people and they realize, hey, you know, as Paul's preaching in the marketplace, these philosophers, and they realize, well, this this guy, he's sort of advocating this new religion or some foreign deities. In their minds, the logical thing to do would be, well, hey, we got to take him to the Areopagus. Not to, to sort of stand trial. That's not what's going to go on here as we read on. It's not a formal trial in any sense. But sort of if there's some sort of new religious thing going on here in Athens, well, where's the logical place to take him for him to be heard? It would be the Areopagus. So, of course, that's what, what takes place. I'll read on here. Right? It says, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's rather true of Athenians uh, in that day and age. So reading on. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship... I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as known, this I proclaim to you. And I just want to pause here for a moment. Well, you see what, what Paul's doing here. Uh, I think oftentimes when we think of, you know, sharing the gospel, being a witness for Christ, we have in our minds sort of this like little two-minute gospel presentation. Well, you know, we're sinners, sort of establish the need to be saved, right? So we're sinners, we've all messed up, uh, we deserve judgment that's sort of you know the justice of it but of course well god deals with this problem so he sends his son to die on a cross to take our place he makes atonement for our sin and if, of course if we trust in him then then we're forgiven and i'm not saying you can't do that but in a sense um 
Paul, rather than immediately diving into, let me get right to my gospel presentation, he sort of wants to connect with his audience. He wants to meet them, in a sense, where they are. And he doesn't want to dive right into, and in many ways, we might tend to do the sort of the negative of, you're a sinner, you've got to acknowledge that, you're terrible, we all are. And sort of in our world, people are kind of thinking, yeah, you know, the first thing you've said to me, you don't even know me, and you're telling me I'm this awful person. Maybe I don't want to hear what you have to say after this. Right, And I think that's often the reality. But of course, Paul, in a sense, wants to endear himself to his audience, not in a manipulative way. And he wants to meet with them and sort of connect with them on some sort of positive terms. And so he recognizes, well, there is some sort of positive reality uh, to the Athenian people and their culture. And the reality is that they are concerned about divine matters, right? That's the reality. They are a generally spiritual, religious people who are concerned about spiritual things. That's a positive thing. Of course, the negative is, well, they worship in that spirituality. They worship all of these false deities rather than the true one. But he recognizes and affirms, right, as he says here, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And so you can imagine them sort of patting themselves on the back. Yes, thank you, Paul. We are. This is wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, of course, he's going to go on further, and he'll, he'll wind up proclaiming more of the gospel, but he's sort of meeting them where they are, affirming them in a positive way, and then using that as a launching pad then, of course, to go further into the gospel. Right? And of course, he takes the reality of, well, you're so spiritual in a sense uh, that you want to make sure you don't miss out on worshiping any deity that might exist. Of course, Paul knows there's only one. There's only one true God. But you think of sort of the pagan mindset that's all of these false gods. They don't think they're false, but, but they're worshiping all of them. And they think, well, maybe there are gods out there that, that we don't know about. We wouldn't want to anger that deity by failing to worship that deity. So we'll have this altar to an unknown God. And again, Paul takes advantage of that instead of just saying, hey, you guys are terrible, you're in idolatry, repent um, of your sinfulness. He could do that, and it's all true, but instead he meets them sort of where they are, and he says, well, you have this altar to an unknown God. So let me tell you about this unknown God that you have an altar to, right? Let me tell you about this God who is unknown to you, and that's, of course, what he does. So let me pick up where I left off here. He says, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And this is one of those little verses or quotes here that I think a lot of people, they, they, they read and they love, and oh, isn't this so wonderful? And it is true, and it's here in Scripture, and it's good, but... This is, this is not uh, a reference to the Old Testament scriptures or anything of the sort. This is, this is a quote from pagan philosophers, from pagan poets, that Paul himself is using. And what is he doing? Again, he's sort of meeting his audience where they are. He recognizes, yes, a, a lot of what pagan poets or philosophers have to say is bad and it's garbage. But every now and then, they might happen to stumble upon some sort of spiritual truth. 
And that's the case here. And so he wants to connect with his audience. And so he draws upon, right, instead of speaking his own language right here, he's not dealing predominantly with Jewish people here. These are the Gentiles of Athens. He's not going to go and just quote from the Jewish scriptures all over the place as though that means something to them. But, of course, he knows, well, they're going to be well acquainted with their own uh, Greek philosophers and poets. And so uh, in places where they touch upon good, true, spiritual truth, well, he's going to borrow upon that. He's going to use that. So he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. And then he gives another quote as well. For we are indeed his offspring. He quotes here, the first one is from Epimenides of Crete, probably around 600 BC from his work Cretica. Uh, he actually quotes from that work from Epimenides elsewhere uh, in Titus chapter 1 there. And then his second quote is from Aratus of probably either Tarsus, right where Paul's from, uh, or a town or city just nearby solely that, that's right near there. And this is somewhere around sort of think of like 300 BC or so, a little bit before the, the day of Paul. But these are, are philosophers, poets that, that of course, um, Greco, Greco, uh, Greek poets that, that they would have been, the people of Athens would have been well acquainted with. Uh, Aratus, in fact, spent some time in Athens and studied there under some great philosophers and so forth. So these are people uh, that, that the people he's speaking to now would have been well acquainted uh, uh, with. They would have known those works. And so he's meeting them, in a sense, on their terms, on their territory, uh, speaking their language rather than using his own language having them meet him on his territory where he's comfortable he goes to them he engages with the community around him he goes out goes to them on their territory and engages them in their language so to speak right so going on right for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And then going on, it says, verse 32, Now when they heard... Of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Right, it's not to say that everybody suddenly, the whole crowd, they all believe, they're won over by Paul, we believe, right? You're going to get mixed responses as you engage with the community and the, the culture around you, right? As you go out into the world and you engage with that surrounding community. Some people aren't going to want to hear the truth of the gospel. When they hear about oh, resurrection of the dead, right, just as these people did, you know, ah, I'm, I'm not going to believe that. That's foolishness. You know, you might get some people to say, like they said, oh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about this, which was the response of some, but then others, of course, indeed did believe and give their lives to the Lord. Uh, but what I really want to focus on here is, in a sense, the, the model here, the example that Paul sets with regard to engaging the surrounding community, right? Paul's mindset as he's here in Athens, right, waiting for Timothy, waiting for Silas, it's not like I'm going to be holed up in my little house and if people want to hear about Jesus, they can come to me, and hopefully there'll be just droves of people who are interested in this Jesus guy. How they'd be interested, I don't know, because they don't even know who he is, right? At least now we live in a culture where, you know, people are aware to some degree of who Jesus is. But if you think of Athens in Paul's day, literally they would have had no idea. They would have never heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. They would have known nothing about him. So it would be foolish for Paul to just sort of hole up in a building, put a little sign out front, 
and in a sense say, hey, if you want to hear about this guy and this true religion, come talk to me. Right? You wouldn't expect many people to show up and, and show an interest in that. But rather, right, if you have people living in, in sin, living in darkness, they don't know about Christ. Right? They're, they're separated from God under his judgment. If we understand that, our response should be not to expect them to suddenly be interested in the true faith and come to us, but to recognize right, there are these people all around us who don't know about God. God has given us a mandate to go and reach people for his kingdom. Well, then we need to go and do that. And the way in which we're going to go and reach people for God's kingdom isn't by sort of staying on our territory in the walls of our church, but by actually going out, as Paul did, and engaging with that surrounding community, as Paul did. He went out. He went to the synagogues where there were the Jews who didn't know about Jesus or believe in Jesus and the God-fearers as well. He went into the marketplace where there were Gentiles all over the place who didn't know about Christ, and he went there. He engaged with the community around him, and he proclaimed Christ while he was there, right? And then they took him to the Areopagus, and what does he do? He continues to faithfully proclaim the truth about Christ, again, not on sort of his own safe territory where he would feel comfortable doing so, expecting them to come to him, but he went into their space, to their territory, spoke their language, so to speak, um, and in doing so, of course, was a faithful witness for Christ. And really, the reality is we need to follow the example of Paul here. It's easy for us to sort of stay in our comfort zone and within the walls of our church and, and, and sort of do ministry, but be all too inward focusing, inward focused in what we do. But rather, we need to be outward focused. We need to engage the community around us. And I'm not saying that we don't do this at all, period, end of story. We certainly do to an extent, but I think we need to grow in this regard. What I want to see is for each and every one of us to say, in some significant way, this year, in a continued way throughout the course of this year, this important year in the life and history of New Hope Chapel, to say, I'm going to engage with the surrounding community in a significant and a major way. And that can look like various different things, right? It doesn't have to be that there's only one way to do that and to do exactly what Paul did. I'm going to go to Stop and Shop and tell people about Jesus or whatever it is, right? There can be various ways. That can be you know, just as you go about your daily life, the reality is for most of us as we go to work, right, each and every weekday, or as we're engaging in life in our community, you're out, you know, I know this, you know, isn't maybe so much this season winter, but maybe it's it's summer and you're out and you're mowing your lawn and your neighbor's next door, you know, and he's out mowing his and you wind up talking to one another. Maybe even in the winter you're, you're snow blowing. We don't have a lot of snow so far this year, but that could change. But as you're just sort of out and about in your community, going for a walk in your neighborhood, right, just in Instead of living out that community life, but in a way that is um, devoid of the gospel and being a faithful witness for Christ, there's no leveraging of that opportunity for Christ and his kingdom, but rather as you go about your daily life, as you head to work, as you, you know, go about, you know, your business, whatever it is, as you're in your neighborhood doing stuff, whatever it is, taking advantage of those opportunities for Christ, for his kingdom, and saying, I'm not just going to be present with these people, but with no gospel-mindedness, no Christ-mindedness, kingdom-mindedness, but rather as I'm hanging out with people at work, as I'm hanging out with people in the neighborhood, as I'm hanging out with people, you name the place, with friends, with family, I'm going to do it in a way in which I'm being a light for Christ in a dark world. I'm going to do it in a way in which I'm being a faithful witness for him. And sometimes that's just by the way you live your life and just caring for people and, and reflecting that Christ-like love. Sometimes that's, at some point, you need to use words, right? People aren't going to understand the truth of the gospel if you just sort of 
love on people. Eventually, you need to actually tell them about Jesus. And so certainly that's part of it, also proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And that's one of the ways in which we can engage the surrounding community. It's just as we're living out our lives daily, really being kingdom-minded, sort of outreach-minded, evangelistic-minded as we're living out our daily lives. It doesn't have to mean taking on an extra task. It's just as we're already doing things, do it in a way that's, that's faithful to the calling to be a witness for Christ day in and day out. But there are other ways as well that we can engage the surrounding community. Um, We can get engaged with organizations and programs that are already in place all around us. Whether it's, well, we have the Westboro Food Pantry here. And it could be just saying, you know, I'm going to go and volunteer there one day every week. And I'm going to engage with the people who are there. Maybe the volunteers who are there as you're packing up food for the people who have that sort of a need, a a need for food, financial need, that sort of thing. It's also engaging with the people who go there to collect the food because they need that help. And just being present in the community in some way. And again, not just being there but for no purpose, but being there again with a kingdom-mindedness, a a gospel-mindedness, and and sharing um, of Christ, sharing about him as you have opportunity to do so. And again, it doesn't have to be the Westboro Food Pantry. It could be a whole host of different things. It could be going to a nursing home where there are boatloads of elderly people who are lonely and they just want someone to engage with. And you just go there and you're just someone who's present with them and cares for them and loves on them and has an opportunity maybe to share about Jesus from time to time as well. It could be getting connected at and volunteering at the Y or you name it. There's plenty of opportunities and ways in which we can connect with programs in our community. And as we're doing so, as we're out in the community, engaging with the community to then be a light for Christ, be a witness, a faithful witness for him. I'd say there are other ways in which we can do it as well, and and sort of even in the sense of overt New Hope Chapel ministries as well. Uh, And I think we're already gaining some ground and doing well in this regard with respect to moms and munchkins. I know that in a sense they're sort of coming onto our territory, and I know with Paul I emphasize going out into their territory, but in a sense, even as moms and munchkins meet, right, and we have the moms and the kids who are here from our community all around us, the reality is we're not creating an atmosphere that's overtly Christian where we're pushing our faith on people. What we've sort of intentionally done is create a little bit more of a safer place, a little more of a neutral space that they would feel comfortable coming to, and then we enter into that neutral territory. Maybe we're not quite going into their territory, nor are they coming to ours. We're sort of creating a little bit of a neutral zone where we can go and engage with our community. We have plenty of moms who show up who don't have any sort of church background or maybe it's nominally church. There are some who come who are Christians and are from other churches, but it's just we get the full range and it's an opportunity. And I'd say week after week, I get to sort of get the debrief um, from Liz and all the information every single Wednesday. And I feel like every Wednesday after Moms and Munchkins meets, there's some sort of great story of a great conversation that happened. Sometimes it's maybe during the hour and a half when it meets. I'd say often some of the best time is after the official meeting time ends. And then you have the moms hanging around, um, sharing things about what's going on in their lives and, you know, or wanting to find out more maybe about the church and, and what New Hope Chapel's like or you name it. Uh, but the point is we've created a space where we can engage with our surrounding community and build relationships and have the opportunity to engage, again, not for no purpose, but in sort of a kingdom-minded way with the community around us. Um, and, and also along those lines, too, we're now, I'll give 
Marla some credit and her, her team that's sort of jumping on board with this. But um, we're going to be starting up or, or beginning to plan and think about starting up um, a new ministry that sort of has the same aim as, as Moms and Munchkins, having an opportunity to really engage with our community. And it sort of surrounds the idea of knitting and crocheting. Uh, you might think of that and think, oh, is that all old people? But I'm told that it's not. Um, that isn't the case, Marla assures me. Not that there would be anything wrong with that, um, but, but but she's done this before at other churches and they've had uh, great results and it's been a great opportunity for people of all ages to engage and, and to really engage with the community. It's not just, hey, a bunch of Christian women show up and they knit and crochet and that's sort of the end of the story, but it really is actually uh, an opportunity to connect with the community and to to, as you create these works of knitting and you know blankets and whatnot, you name it, and then gift those to people in the community, it's an opportunity to care for people, to love people. It's an opportunity to engage uh, in personal ways as well with the community around you um, and really be a light for Christ in that way. And so it could be starting up, joining one of those ministries. That's one of the ways you could engage with the surrounding community, getting involved with Moms and Munchkins or this new ministry we're starting up. Or maybe it's you have a different idea of a way in which we can engage with the community around us and coming to me or the elders and saying, hey, I have this idea. I feel the Lord might be laying it on my heart. Could you know? Should I run with this? How can we get this off the ground? Whatever it might be. But bottom line, I want to see every single one of us saying, hey, this has to be the year that we really and truly engage with the community around us. We can't just be inward focused, inward looking, sort of doing our own thing here at New Hope Chapel without great regard for the world around us. But we need to have a great concern and burden for the people all around us, and that should motivate us, just as Paul was motivated, right? He saw the idolatry all around him, right? We could say the same thing. We look around. They might not be in the world around us bowing down to literal idols, but but certainly they have their own idols of whatever it is, comfort or self or money or fame or you name it, you know, um, there are idols all around, and we see people engaging in that idolatry, and we should have the same response of Paul to be provoked, in a sense, within our spirit, not provoked to anger, but provoked to a, a sadness and grief over the reality of that idolatry and provoked to a compassion for those people, out of love for those people, and yearn to see those people come to know Christ. And that should motivate us to go out into the world, engage with the community, be a faithful light for Christ and witness for him so as to build up his church, his kingdom, for his glory. And so that's what I want to do. I want to challenge us, each and every one of us, engage with the surrounding community doesn't have to be the same way for each and every one of you, but in some way, in some significant, tangible way, this year, each and every one of us, I want to see us engaging with the surrounding community with kingdom-mindedness, gospel-mindedness, for the building up of God's church and his kingdom, for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage that we just read and the example of a faithful servant of yours like Paul. May we learn from his great example. All too often it's easy, especially in a post-Christian culture where at one point the church stood at the center of the culture and you really could at times seem to just put up your sign and people would come. But less and less, that is the case. It is really not the case so much anymore. And we can't have that inward focus and think we're just going to hang out here, put up a sign, a banner, and they'll all come. But Lord, if we want to reach the world for your kingdom, we need to engage the world. We need to engage with the surrounding community, just as Paul did. He had a burden for the people around him, seeing their idolatry. 
we should have the same response, a burden for the people around us, in love for them, and a burden to reach them for your kingdom as Paul did, and it motivated him to go out into the world, to go onto their territory, to speak their language, engage with them, right where they were. May we be motivated to do the same, out of compassion, out of love for those around us, to go out into the world, engage our community faithfully as you've called us to, and be a light for you, be a faithful witness for you, And may you use it for the building up of your church, your kingdom, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.